Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Stephen Kiley. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. So if you're in a something tonight, we're going to just have you stand. We're not going to actually have you shake hands tonight. Basically, uh, you know everyone. We're glad you're here, right? You know if you weren't here where you'd be? Somewhere else. Profound. I'm a deep preacher, aren't I? You know wherever you go, that's where you are. So tonight I want to, I want to take you on a little excursion to, um, I'm going to test your Bible skills. The first person that can find the book of Habakkuk, 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 all depends on what side of the, oh, Brother Imel's got it already. Page 1207. Well, God bless you, Brother Imel. You're really intelligent. All right. I'm just going to read a verse, then I'll let you have you sit, have you sit down. Habakkuk, chapter 1, verse 1 and verse 2. The oracle that Habakkuk, the prophet, saw. How long, Lord, must I call for help, and you... Do not listen. You may be seated. I want to give you a little bit of a background before we get in, into this chapter. That Habakkuk's only three chapters long, but it carries a very important message. It's a, a message that this world is, is asking or seeking an answer for. But if we look at the, the time of Habakkuk's writing... It's roughly around 609, somewhere between there and 598 B.C. The king of Judah at that time, if you're familiar with some of the wicked kings, was Jehoiakim. Very wicked king. Judah has fallen into disarray and all types of, of revelry and sin and idolatry. Jehoiakim has just fanned the, fanned the flame of their debauchery. If you'll remember, if you know your history, in 722 B.C., the northern kingdom, which would have been Israel, uh, was taken captive by the Assyrians. So we're really only looking at about 100 years difference between the fall of Israel and now the impending fall of Judah. And Habakkuk is watching the scenario. He's watching a wicked uh, kingdom of the wicked kingdom of Babylon, and he's also seen the fallen kingdom of Judah. Of course, Babylon is much more wicked than Judah is, but Habakkuk's having a hard time understanding why God is doing what he's doing. And that's where I want to go tonight. I want to go back and I want us to focus on when our perceptions of what is taking place differ from what our ideology of God is. In other words, we, we feel that God should move in a particular way, and when he moves in the complete opposite way, or in a way that we feel we can't understand, 
we begin to question not only our faith, but the integrity of God. Let's read a little further. I'm going to start with verse 2 again. How long, Lord, must I call for help and you do not listen or cry out to you about violence and you do not save? Why do you force me to look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing, oppression, and violence that are right in front of me? Strife is ongoing and conflict escalates. This is why the law is ineffective. Now think about our day and age as we're reading this. Injustice never emerges. Notice this first. And now this is this is a thousand, several thousand years ago. He says, For the wicked we restrict the righteous. Therefore, justice comes out perverted. Boy, does that fit into the 20th century. For the wicked restrict the righteous, therefore justice comes out perverted. Look at the nations observed. Be utterly astounded. For something is taking place in your days. Now God is answering Habakkuk. That you will not believe when you hear about it. Look, I'm raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter, impetuous nation that marches across the earth's open spaces to seize territories not its own. They are fierce and terrifying. Their views of justice and sovereignty stem from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards and more fierce than wolves of the night. Their horsemen charge ahead. Their horsemen come from distant lands. They fly like an eagle swooping to devour. All of them come to do violence. Their faces are set in determination. They gather prisoners like sand. They mock kings and rulers are a joke to them. They laugh at every fortress and build siege ramps to capture it. Then they sweep by the wind and pass through. They are guilty. Their strength is their God. Their strength is their God. Now now we're going to look at Habakkuk's second prayer. There's a few things I want to point out in the remainder of this chapter. Are you not from eternity, Yahweh my God, my Holy One? You will not die. You, Lord, you appointed them to execute judgment, my rock. You destined them to punish us. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil, and you cannot tolerate wrongdoing. So, why do you tolerate those who are treacherous? These are questions that are being asked in our generation. People are asking these same questions. Why does God allow evil to exist? This wasn't a question that was formed in our generation. Why are you silent? While one who is mocked swallows up one who is more righteous than himself. You've made mankind like the fish of the sea, like marine creatures that have no ruler. The Chaldeans pull them out all up with a hook, catch them in their dragnet, and gather them in their fishing net. That is why they are glad and they rejoice. That is why they sacrifice to their dragnet and burn incense to their fishing net. For by these things their portion is rich and their food plentiful. 
Will they therefore empty their net and continually slaughter nations without mercy? Are you going to let this to continue to happen? Now, I, in the second chapter, I'm not going to keep reading the whole book of Habakkuk, but I wanted to give you a little bit of a foundation. Here's what Habakkuk does after he's just stated his cause. Verse 1 of chapter 2. I will stand at my guard post and station myself on the lookout tower. I will watch to see what he will say to me and what I should reply about my complaint. Have you ever asked God or petitioned God for something and you never really received the answer that you asked? Maybe it was... uh, Maybe it was a dream of a job that you wanted or a college career that you expected to get involved in. Maybe it was uh, you never intended to get divorced and you wondered why you ever made it to that point. You planned on having a lot of children, but for some reason your spouse could not have them. You volunteered for things that you didn't expect to get paid for, but you weren't even accepted. We've all been there. We've all, many times in our life, have had our plans dashed even though we sought God with our whole heart and our intentions were pure. But I want to tell you something, and if you haven't realized it yet, your plans and God's plans are very rarely the same. I have found that out, that my ways are not his ways, as the psalmist said. But when you look at Habakkuk, He doesn't like the answer he's received. First, he thought God was ignoring Judah's sin. He watched watched, uh, Jehoiakim lead this nation into terrible sin, and God didn't seem to do anything to stop it. Then he thought, secondly, that God would never use a kingdom that was worse than the kingdom that was in sin to judge Judah. He couldn't understand how God could ever allow that to happen. So what do you do when God doesn't live up to your expectations? How do you respond when the Lord's answer is not the answer that you expected? Habakkuk was troubled by something that troubles every one of us. He couldn't reconcile his view of God with the injustice that he saw that was all around him. A couple years ago, there was a man named George Barna. He did an interview. He was a pollster, and he asked people this question. He asked, if you could ask God one question and know that you would receive an answer, what would you ask God? You know what the the number one response was? Why is there pain and suffering in the world? Have you ever heard that? All the time. That's, that makes sense because we see suffering everywhere. And we wonder where it comes from and why God allows it to continue and go on and on and on. If you remember C.S. Lewis in his writings, he wrote this sentence. He said, suffering is atheism's greatest weapon against the Christian faith. 
because they will say, if God is just and God is righteous and God is loving, if he is and if he exists, why does he allow and tolerate evil to continue to go on, especially to affect his church? Why are Christians being martyred in Syria and Iraq? Why did that tornado destroy my house and not the house across the street? Why would God allow that nice young couple to have a child that was born and was deformed and crippled? Why would God allow those things? And I could go on. The list of questions is endless. We could go on for hours. But at some point, we've got to deal with God. We have to go to God for answers. And this story, what we're looking at in the book of Habakkuk, is one man's uh, quest to wrestle an answer from God on the hard questions that he was dealing with. And if I look at the book of Habakkuk, I could divide the three chapters up and give each one a theme. If you were to look at chapter 1, chapter 2, and chapter 3, each one has a three-word theme. The first one is faith is tested. The second chapter, when we get into the second chapter, if we were to continue of read, to have read, we would have saw how uh, Habakkuk reinvigorates his faith. So the second chapter is faith is taught. Faith cometh by. In other words, faith is taught. Preach the word. Be instant, in season, and out of season, because faith comes by hearing. And faith allows us to overcome doubt. And then the third chapter, and especially if you know the last few verses of the third chapter, they're awesome, it's faith is triumphant. So if I look at these three chapters here, he moves from, in the first chapter, from fear to faith. It's a progression. It's almost like the grieving process. And anybody that's ever worked in a facility where they've had to deal with grief and dying, the process of grief is so normal for all people. It doesn't matter whether you're rich or poor, what background you come from. The process or the steps of grief are almost the same. And we watch the progression in Habakkuk of fear to faith, of burden to blessing, and of perplexity to praise. God takes those heavy burdens and he turns them to blessings. How about from confusion? To confidence. And about how about worry to worship? It's a progression. Now, some people, when they don't understand, they sell their faith out and they walk away from their, their uncertainty because they don't want to face it because they're the type of people that have to have an answer. Their ideology is everything has to fit in its right place. 
And because they cannot understand why God does or does not do something, they oftentimes will turn around because they can't deal with faith. It all boils down to this thing. In Habakkuk's, Habakkuk's story, the Babylonians are coming and you can't stop them. When they reach Jerusalem, they will conquer it. And eventually they will destroy it. I am using them, the Lord says, to judge Judah for her sins. God used the wicked to judge his people. And of course, like we read, he, he objected vehemently. God, how can you do this? How can you do that? That's the key to the whole book, the whole book of Habakkuk. It's a dialogue between a frustrated man of faith and a God whose ways he can't understand. See, you can have faith, you can be a man of God, but you can also be frustrated by what you do not understand. And there's nothing wrong with that. If I were to frame the book of Habakkuk, I'd probably frame it this way. The issue is not Judah and her sin. The issue in this book is not that Babylon is coming and that Babylon is evil. The issue is not Habakkuk's doubt. The issue in this book is about God. It's all about God. God, how do you fit into the scenario? We all end up eventually asking the same questions, and they all lead back to God. God, why? Now, in the last half of Habakkuk, the first chapter, the prophet has three questions for God. After asking those questions, he's going to have to make a decision that shapes everything else in the remainder of the book in the last two chapters. The first question is, who are you? <laughs> my wife, I can't tell stories about my wife. I'll have to find a different one. I've learned a lesson on that one. But there was this one girl one time that I married. <laughs> and I know that everyone will agree it's nothing bad about anything. It's, it's a normal story. You married someone. Let's do it in the third sense. That's safer. You married someone, and then after two weeks, you said to them, who are you? Maybe it wasn't that way in your case, but after you get to know someone, you begin to realize that there's a lot of things that you didn't understand before you were married, that, you were, that were being revealed to you, probably more things that you didn't know than you did. And you begin to ask, who are you? I really thought I understood you. I really thought I knew you. Well, it's the same thing in my relationship to God. I come to God, I think I know him. And then when things start to enter into my life and things that I don't understand for his ways are way above my ways, his, his thoughts go beyond the capacity of my thinking, I begin to say, God, who are you? I, I thought I knew you. And that's Habakkuk's dilemma. Who are you, God? And then he says in verse 12, O Lord, are you not from everlasting? 
my God, my Holy One? We will not die, O Lord. You have appointed them to execute judgment. O rock, you have ordained them to punish. I want to ask you a question. What do you do when God doesn't make any sense to you? And like I said earlier, either you walk away from your faith or you remind yourself, and I want you to see this tonight, of who God is. We need to sometimes go back and get a great big helping of doctrine. We need to come back and we need to understand who God is. He is sovereign. He's omnipotent. He's omniscient. What Habakkuk does is like a good man of God, he goes back with his doubts to the first principles, to the basic premise of the doctrine of our faith. And when you have these questions, when you're dealing with things that you don't understand, and guess what? You're going to have that the rest of your life. Because until you die, you're never going to really understand a lot of the things that are happening while you're alive. And I say that because Paul said, now I see through a glass darkly. But then, what's then? After this life, then I will see clearly. For I will know even as I am known. So Paul is really saying, even though I've been educated at the feet of Gamaliel, I've sat in the desert for three years, and God has taught me a majority of the doctrines that I teach, there's still so much more that I don't understand. And guess what? You don't have to understand it. Jesus said that. When Jesus was talking to his disciples and he was trying to reveal who he was, he says, believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or just believe it for the work's sake. Even if you cannot understand who I am, believe it so that the work could go on. It isn't a prerequisite to enter into the kingdom of heaven to understand everything. Look what he calls God. He goes back and he starts to look at God as who he is. He's everlasting, he says. You are sovereign. And then he uses the word Lord or Adonai. You're personal. You're the personal God. Then he goes on in his chapters to say you are the strong one. You're, you're in a class by yourself. You're set apart from sin. You're my rock. What's a rock? It's a place of safety with a solid foundation. If you remove God's sovereignty, does anybody want to take a jab at what the word sovereign means? Why not? This is just a Sunday. This is just a lesson. What does sovereign mean? If someone is sovereign, what are they? They have the ability to do whatever they wish to do. They're sovereign. If we take God's sovereignty away, his ability to make whatever decision that he wants to make from him, then you will forever question his wisdom. Take away the sovereignty of God, you disavow his wisdom. Can I? And take away his wisdom, and then you take away your trust. If you remove God's 
loyal love, then you will forever question his faithfulness. If you remove from God his majesty, you'll question his power. If you remove God's holiness, then you'll begin to question his fairness. If you remove God's protection, then you begin to wonder about his goodness. So tonight, the question is not, do I believe in God? But the question is, what sort of a God do I believe in? That's the key to the the question we all have to answer. What sort of a God do I believe in? What what is my God? What is he? Sovereign and mighty and powerful and faithful and full of love and compassion and merciful. All the attributes of God. We all have questions. Now, Brother Kylie, my brother, talked about uh, Dad the other day. And that certainly stirred up a lot of emotions in me, even though it's been, I don't know how many years, 1984, 85, probably do the math. It's a long time. I know some of you don't even think I'm that old. But I remember crystal clear what was happening in our family as as new Christians. We hadn't been saved very long when dad and mom came into the church and dad comes into the church and Congratulations, you have cancer. And I can remember me and Rick, and I think Lizwith was with us in the house, in mom's house. Dad was at St. Francis Hospital, I believe, either that or St. Luke's. And I remember us all three, new babies in the Lord, kneeling at the couch and asking God to intercede on behalf of dad. And we couldn't understand that that when we came to God, we thought that God would be merciful to us. We gave him our lives, and certainly that meant something to God. And God would, just because of what we had given, would certainly deliver dad from cancer. And he did for a while, for seven years. He had one of his lungs removed, or half of his lung removed. But then it came back again. Why? If now I'm just playing, I'm not playing devil's advocate because I don't want any part of him. But the question that arises in your mind is if God healed, well, why did it come back? Now, is that wrong for me to think that? Is it wrong for you to think the things that you have thought about things that you don't understand? No. Well, how do I deal with it? How do I deal with the thought? God, if you are kind and merciful, and you are a healer, then why are we dealing with this situation all over again? Guess what? It's been all these years. I don't have the answer. And you know what? If I live to be another, be 100 years old, I still probably won't have the answer because I'm not God. He's sovereign. He gets to choose what he does, what he doesn't. But I trust him and have faith that his decisions are better and far above what I could make. Far above. I want to tell you, sometimes you choose to believe what you see. Often you believe in spite 
of what you see. Some people believe because of what they see. Others believe in spite of what they see. Now, what group do you want to fit into? I'd like to be in both. I'd like to see the blind see, which I have seen. And I have seen deaf ear. But I've also seen things not happen the way that I thought they should. But I still believe. That makes... That sort of theology makes faith a choice. Now, I know that the scripture said that every man is given a measure of faith. That means in your little soul when you were born, God put an embryo of faith. Everyone got an embryo of faith, just like they all got a soul. If you choose to use your faith and keep your faith, it will grow. But you can ignore that faith and walk away from it and become disillusioned. I have to tell you that many things still are mysterious to me. There's a lot of questions that I don't have the answer for. But if there is no God, and if he's not a good God, if there is a God that exists, then nothing at all makes any sense. So I guess what we have chosen to do is we have chosen to believe regardless of what we see. Now, this is important because right now, I, I talked with my brother this morning and I shared something that happened on Sunday. On Sunday, I was all excited about watching AD on the series. And I thought, all right, I'm going to get my popcorn and I'm going to get out there and I want to watch this series. And I've watched some other ones. And... And I watched another series, too, and it was talking about the, the scriptural doctrine. And they were talking about how in the book of, of the Pentateuch, how the five books couldn't have been written by Moses like we say they were. Because how could Moses have written how he was buried, how he died and was buried? He couldn't have written it because he wouldn't have been alive to write it. Now, see, people are especially... The, the media and those that are of the world are trying to disprove the existence of a good God or a God at all. Well, you know, like, hello, Joshua was his principal partner, wasn't he? He spent, was chosen from the beginning of his ministry. We know that Joshua wrote the book of his, his own book because and we know that it was written at the time of his existence because in this documentary they tried to say, well, you know, the Bible, those first five books, they were just passed down like things around the campfire. Just like stories around the campfire. Generation and generation. So it was told so many times, how do we even know that it's even accurate anymore? See, the devil is trying to do the same thing to you that he did to Eve. Hath God said? In other words, is it really accurate? Did God really tell you the truth? Can you really trust the word? Because he realizes if he can attack your foundation, he can knock you off the wall. And some of their questions were really silly, of course. Joshua said he was talking about Rahab. I was reading that in my, my bread. And he said several times, and Rahab's family is alive to this day. 
Well, if that was 3,000 years later, she was an old lady. Or 500 years later, he was writing the present tense. What I'm trying to say is this. The devil hasn't changed his techniques. If he can get you to question the sovereignty of God or the goodness of God or the mercy of God and place doubt in your mind, he can overcome you in your faith. And God allowed us to have a man like Habakkuk to show us how to overcome the things we don't understand. If you were to look at that last part of chapter 2, look at some of the things that, that, are, that, that can help increase your faith. He goes on and on and on. But anyways, let me show you some good things that will help you overcome some of the doubt you might have. God is good. Do you know that, that somebody once said that they believe that that ideology, that statement that we, we say in church all the time, God is good all the time, that it really originated the first time, not in the United States, but in Nigeria. And I was reading, and a person from Nigeria, from Lagos, Laos, or something like that, contacted the writer and said, yes, in Nigeria, we have done that for years and years and years, but we say more than what you say. You say God is good all the time. But in Nigeria, what we do is we say God is good all the time, and then we say, and we are a witness. In other words, we are a witness of the goodness of God. So if I take my witness of the goodness of God, these are some of the things that I can say to myself to build myself up when I'm under attack. God is good. God is holy. God is just. God knows everything. God is love. God doesn't make any mistakes. The Bible is true. Jesus Christ is God manifest in the flesh. Jesus did die on the cross, and Jesus did rise from the dead. Jesus did ascend into heaven, and someday he will return back onto earth to claim his church. The Holy Spirit lives inside of me, and it is real. I am sealed with that spirit. God is always with me. All things work together for my good and for God's glory. God will complete his work in me. I need to take those building blocks to reinforce the, the foundation that I'm, I'm standing on. Writing them, thing, writing them down or repeating them builds your faith. Let's do it one more time together. God is good, and I am a witness. I am a witness. The second question that, that Habakkuk has is, how can you do this, God? How can you allow this to happen? How can you do that? Now, we all understand that there are moral inequities in this universe. It's quite obvious. I don't even need to go there. Some people seem to have it easy, and some people suffer for years and years. Well, you ever heard, hear it said that some rain must fall? Well, some people get a sprinkle, 
and others get a deluge. I, I felt bad because I felt one time that I was getting all the problems and the rest of my family wasn't having any. And then I was sorry I said it because my brother got a problem. And I felt bad about that. But sometimes life isn't fair. Sometimes things happen to one person in abundance and maybe not the person next to them not quite as much. And you might try to say, how do you explain that? can. Habakkuk's particular problem stemmed from a conflict that he had with God. If God cannot tolerate wrongdoing, which is a, a point of truth, how then could he use the Babylonians to judge, Babylonians to judge Judah? That's also a true point. Of course, Babylon's sins were far greater than the sins of Judah. How could he use the evil the more evil to judge the less evil. Isn't that a contradiction? No, it's not. God will not always make sense to us. Not even when we're trying to look through the eyes of our faith. It won't always make sense. We simply don't know why things happen the way they do. I can't explain how... We're not out of orbit. I was thinking about it tonight as I was sitting here, how everything is in constant motion. Where the earth is, the moon is circling the earth, and the earth is in a pattern circling the sun, and our, our, our galaxies, and all of the things that, that, that God has created is in motion, but nothing seems to blow apart. I can't explain it. Can you? Can you explain to me how the molecule, the billions and trillions of molecules that you have in your body all stay together? Can you explain to me why you can take dry ice and you can ask the question, if the ice is dry, will I get wet if I melt it? Can you explain to me why water can take on different forms? It can be steam and then it can be a liquid and it can be a solid. Not necessarily. You can talk about how the molecular, molecular structure changes, but you can't explain how it does it. Does anybody know when all your problems will finally end? <laughs> kind of, sort of. The day that I leave this temporary temple that I'm living in and I take on an eternal one. But can you tell me when that day is? Can you tell me the day that you're going to die? Well, that's a point of uncertainty. There's a lot of things that we live with every day that we don't know. Habakkuk is wondering the same thing. When will all this end? Is anyone ever going to stop Babylon? Will Babylon never be judged? But Babylon was judged. And I'm not betting money more, but can anybody tell me who judged Babylon? Who caused the Babylonian Empire to fall? What group of people? Persians. Absolutely, the Persians conquered the Babylonians. And the Persians weren't the best, but who conquered the Persians? The Greeks did. Of course, that's good Bible study stuff. But see, everything does eventually get placed in order, but maybe not in the time that you like to see it change. So, three questions that Habakkuk had. Who are you, Lord? How can you do this? 
and how long will this last? The same questions that we have. Who are you, God? I don't even know you. I thought I knew you. How can you allow this? How can you do this? And Lord, how long is this going to last? And like I said earlier, some questions will not be answered this side of heaven. And then he just waits. He goes and he stands in, in the watchtower and he waits for an answer from God. And I think of how the Bible says, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. I wait on God. My soul doth wait. I watch for God more than they that watch for the morning. He says in Habakkuk 2 and 1, I will stand at my watch and station myself upon the ramparts. He didn't know how long he was going to wait, but he was learning a lesson that he had to trust God. And I think in closing, I think I've basically covered my point, and I, I, I don't want to beat a dead horse. I want to show you how this book ends. We go to the third chapter. And he says this in verse 16 of chapter 3. He's expressing his confidence in God even though he doesn't understand why God is doing what he's doing. That's where we need to be tonight. Even though I don't understand, I still need to express my confidence. And this is what he writes. I heard and I trembled within, verse 16. My lips quivered at the sound, rottenness entered my bones. I trembled where I stood. Now I must quietly wait for the day of distress to come against the people invading us. Though the fig tree does not bud and there is no fruit on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, although there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will triumph in Yahweh or in God. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. God, or my Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like those of a deer and enables me to walk on mountain heights. Yea, all these things are about to happen. I still will trust God, even if I do not understand. And I think of what the prophet said, the Lord knows the way that I take. And he is able to keep me against that day. How is he going to keep me? You ever say, God, how are you ever going to solve this problem? Have you ever prayed that? I don't know. I've tried to stay up all night and figure an answer, Lord. I don't know how you're going to do it. I've, I've, I've spent so much time. But my faith says, trust in God. Leave it in his hands. And he will give you the answers that you need when the appropriate time comes. But let me tell you this. I was, I was talking with one lady, and I'm going to close with this, and I'm glad Brother Barningham isn't here because he always says I take three closings and I don't believe him. This is only my second. I, I was talking to a, a lady in one of my sessions, and we were talking about the Scripture and the authenticity and the re direct revelation, inspiration of the Scripture, and the, the topic of hell came up. Has anybody ever said this to you? 
I don't believe there is a hell. I don't believe a good, merciful God would ever create a place as bad as that place would be. What they've tried to do is because they don't understand why God is doing what he's done and he said he would do. They try to disavow his sovereignty by disallowing, disallowing his word. I asked her if she believed in heaven and she said, well, yeah. I says, well, the same one that mentioned heaven said there was a hell. Why can you believe in one and not the other? Because I don't believe my God is like that. Whether you agree with God or not does not matter. I don't agree with some of the laws. When I drive to work in the morning, there are some 25 mile an hour speed limits that I say are utterly ridiculous. And I could change them because I think I could drive 40 and be safe. But you know what? I try, not always successful, to honor the law, even though I don't agree with it. And God someday will say to me, or to these people that disavow his law, you could do it unto man, but couldn't you do it unto me? So tonight, thank you Habakkuk for hanging in there and being a living example for us. Let's stand together. Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and will continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 262-965-5177 or email us at info at abundantlifechurch.org.